1: financial security will help you live the life you dream learn about financial power the total financial hour now higher income strategies. learn from Arab hey welcome
2: to the show thanks for being with me i'm here palby pleasure to have you here in this uh well i guess it's a wonderful day why Because your family's finances, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future, that's what this show's all about. And I want to touch on some things today, so I'm going to bounce around a little bit, right? We're going to touch on a lot of subjects, a lot of topics, and you'll see kind of how we uh, weave those all together, because I think for most of you, you don't understand the big issues of what a recession is, why it's coming, what we think are the problems uh, when it comes to uh, affecting your financial life. And I'm going to share with you a couple of things. First of all, I think you have to understand that for most of you, it's the old, if you think it's a recession, it's going to be a recession, right? For most of you, how you're going to feel this impact, it's going to be directly related to how you act, right? Your feelings, your actions, uh, it's what what was a recent study, six out of 10 people think a recession is coming. Well, I, I mean, that's mildly interesting. It's almost one of those fluff things, right? Like when a reporter is, is at the local YMCA talking about a, a record made by a, a six-year-old or something. Nice, it's cute. It's a way to end the evening so you don't go to bed you know, with a, a bad news story in your mind. I, I get it, but it was just to fill the time. So when there's studies and when the news covers these things, they generally are doing it just to cover the time. So how you feel about a recession coming, whether or not you think it's going to happen, does impact you, for sure it does, because you're not going to spend more. And it's almost that chicken or the egg thing, right? You don't spend more. Many people don't spend as much. They hold on to more money. What happens on the turn uh, of the next uh, uh, economic reports? Surprise, people aren't spending money. So there is a little bit of that impact that you can create to the economy. But by and large, a lot of the issues are behind the scenes and they've happened weeks ago if not months ago, right? In other words, we're at the end of the pipeline. You as the consumer, you're at the fine, uh, I I guess just the end of the pipeline. If you think of it, something starts at the beginning of the pipeline, producer prices, right? Manufacturing costs. And then by the time it gets down to the retail and then the consumer, you start to think about these uh, expenses. And what it does is it pushes up things even if stuff is fixed in the one end of the of the pipeline towards the beginning, it doesn't matter. It's still gonna take weeks, if not months, to come out on the other side. That's why you hear the the folks that nobody wants to listen to, it's all the politicians. On mostly the conservative side right now. There's a few uh Democrat senators who have some common sense left, not very many. A couple, a few, maybe one. <laughs> right? We'll call him Joe. And if Joe from, let's say, oh, I don't know, West Virginia holds firm through the end of the year, then we have a chance to keep back the front end of the pipeline, which is the recessionary driven items like this build back better. All it is is print more money, spend more money on the government and send it through the system. You know, guys, some of you are still not sure the difference between the Republican and the Democrat parties when it comes to the practical Expenses. Just think of it like this. The conservative movement for a 100 years has always been about uh, less federal government, not more. More control to the states, not less. Meaning the states have their own abilities to be independent. Look, go back to the the founding of this country, the United States. If you go to the United Nations, it used to be called, or they, they considered calling it the United States. The problem was, of course, we were already in existence. Because a nation is a state. So they just used both terms. Today you go, the nation state of Israel, the nation state of Cambodia, right? Nation state. The United States is 50 small countries that have given up certain rights to be part of a of a national coalition. And the Supreme Court's job is to decide, amongst other things, who gets what right. Oh, this is a state right. This is a federal right. That's why abortion is such a, a non-issue to the state of California because the state of California is so liberal. It's not going to change the on-demand abortion. In fact, they have abortion tourism now. Is there anything more macabre than that? Right? Where they're going to fly people in. Disney will relocate you from Florida, fly in for the weekend. You get a spa, facial abortion. Did you want a massage, foot massage and go back home? Is it not a a bit gross? I I guess. I, I mean, I don't know. Oh women's you can't touch my body I get it guys I get it. The only thing I can comment on as i last i I checked in seventh grade my my science book it took a guy to be involved too so so it's not just one person right I, I mean it's there's a man or a boy or somebody who's past puberty I, let's figure this out together so my point is all of these issues that they, that they gin up are going to drive your financial choices. You think the world is coming to an end. Well, in some places it is. In some places it isn't. I'll give you a good example. How many of you read about the big car accident, oh my gosh, in Connecticut? Well, you didn't because you're not driving on Connecticut freeways. So why does it matter? Even three counties over, why does it matter? And yet the news will still put it on TV as if it's happening around the corner. You see a, quote, mass shooting... And you start thinking, oh my gosh, it's happening everywhere. Because psychologically, you can't dis, uh, disassociate. I don't know what the word is, except to think you believe that these are happening next door and, and around the corner. Let me give you a great example. When I was a Los Angeles policeman, I did, I was the community, uh, I did these neighborhood watch meetings, right? Community watch meetings. We'd we'd go Thursday night, Hollaby. you got to go and talk to the, the Chatsworth neighborhood watch, or you got to go talk to the... The Palos Verdes uh, Neighborhood Watch Group. Okay, great. So you go speak to these groups. And as you talk to them, uh, it wasn't Palace Verdes, it was uh, Palisades rather. You go speak to these groups. And they hear, we heard that there's a set of robberies going down uh, at people's homes. I go, well, first of all, ma'am, if it's a house, it's a burglary. Only people can be robbed. Jewelry stores are burglarized unless a person is involved. And then it's robbing the person to steal the jewelry. But, you know, you would do a small little brief. Oh, I didn't know that. Do a brief little uh, law class. People get robbed. Structures get burglarized. That's California law anyway. So we finished through our little classes. Boy, oh boy, people would come up and they go, we saw on the news. I go, ma'am, that was in uh, San Fernando. Yeah, I know, but isn't that close? No, there's uh, an hour and a half of traffic. And uh, a million people between you and them. Oh, so it's kind of close. N- n- no, ma'am, it, could, it, might, it might as well be in Timbuktu or Zimbabwe or East Germany. I mean, it could be anywhere. Why does it matter? But you see, they watch the news. And you guys do that. We have another mass shooting. and There's 400 million people, most plus or minus, in this country. In this state, there's probably mm, 35 or 40 million people. In this state, there's probably 35 million guns. I don't know. And one mentally ill, deranged uh, loner, the same kid who you saw all those years. Oh, well, we don't want him to have access to a gun. It is too late. Uh, Look, I, I get it. I don't want bad guys to have guns either. It's too late. There's 400 million guns in this country. So what do you do? Well, very simple. You just make sure good guys have them. Right? I mean, you saw that at the shopping mall. The young man was shopping with his girlfriend. This guy comes out of the bathroom after hiding for an hour. Shoots up the food court. God forbid, but he ended up killing two people. At least, maybe three it was. And then the good guy with the gun shot him. And instead of the left praising him, they're like, oh, he he committed a crime by having the gun In the mall. No, no, no. That's a policy, people. It's a policy. As long as you are legally carrying a gun, a firearm, unless it's a law like, oh, you can't go into a post office or you can't go into a a military base, right? Okay, there's some rules. There's some laws. But private property, a mall or a restaurant, no guns allowed. It only becomes a crime when they ask you to leave and you say, no, I'm not leaving. Now it's trespassing. Still has nothing to do with the firearm. So I want you to start looking at this because in, your, in the concepts of your mind, many of you think even economically, the world is coming to an end. I'm going to tell you, there are some amazing opportunities coming, right? What do you do to prepare for them? Number one, you, you better be paying off your bad debt. What is bad debt? It's not your house. Certainly, Well, if it's a house you're living in, I always think that's bad debt, right? If it's a rental property, somebody else is paying the mortgage, I'm okay with that. But things like a car, credit card, I don't like those. They're bad debt. If you have to go to work to pay for it, I'm not a fan of it. Okay, now you might say, I put everything on my credit card. I charge it so I can receive the points. And at the end of the month, I pay it off. Well, it's not a debt. It's an expense. You might say, oh, that's just a nice choice of words. No, it isn't. Here's the difference. You have a budget each month, whether you like it or not, whether it's written down or not. There's a finite amount of money that you can spend each month, whatever that number is. Let's just say it's $5,000. So you have $5,000 to spend. You might have a couple of credit cards with a $10,000 limit. Well, it doesn't mean that this month you can spend $15,000. The, the $5,000 can be spent in a variety of ways. You can go online. You can use PayPal. You can use Zelle. You can use cash, you can use your ATM debit, you can use a credit card. And at the end of the month, that 5000 could be could have been spent numerous different ways. So now your job is to decide which one of those you choose. Well, that's fine, that's up to you, but at the end of the month, all 5000 is gone. You don't have an extra 1000 or $10,000 to spend because a credit card has increased its limit. Very simple, a credit card is there and not for emergencies. That's your emergency account. It's for above and beyond emergencies. Primarily, it's convenience. It's safety, so you're not carrying $5,000 in cash with you everywhere you go. Right? It's a way to transfer risk from you to the credit card companies. And by the way, some of you have debit cards and you use it where you type in your PIN at all the different stores. Even though it might have a Visa or a MasterCard logo, I'm going to tell you never, not sometimes, never use a debit card. Never use a debit card at a restaurant. Never use a debit card online. Never, ever use a debit card. Yep. Okay, are you ready? Here's the why, because many of you are going, why? Because if you get ripped off, if somebody steals your PIN number, the bank's... Are not required to make you whole. With a credit card, legally, statutorily, you're not on the hook for more than fifty bucks. And most of the time, if you're a pretty good customer, they don't even allow, uh, they don't even charge you that fifty dollars, right? Some guy in Des Moines, Iowa, charges on your credit card. They go, oh, that wasn't you. They lock it down and they send you a new one, right? And then it's usually the merchant that gets hosed on the back end. Right? That's a technical term. The merchant. It's stuck with it. Not the credit card companies. But on a debit card scenario, they drain your bank account. Guess what? You are on the hook for that. There is no limit. It's as if you were carrying around $5,000 in cash. So, please do not put all your eggs in one basket. Number one, don't put it all in one bank or credit union. And number two, don't use a debit card ever. Just use a credit card. Okay. That's very important because as a retiree, as you're kind of getting close to retirement, it's it's not as if you can go back to work and up. Oh, I lost $50,000 just like some of the risks in the market or some of these scams or frauds that are out there. I don't want you to go out there and take those risks. Oh, well shrug your shoulders and think you can just go back to work to figure out how you can make enough money to, to fill that bank account again. All right, Nobody pays attention to you. It's truly you against the banks. And guess who has more lawyers, right? Yeah, I know, not us. All right, so here's what a couple of other things I want to touch on for you. When it comes to kind of planning for this recession that's here, I want you to focus on a couple of things. Number one, you need to build your emergency fund. Cash is king going forward. You might say, oh, not really, because cash is going to give me uh, you know, it declines in value each day in the bank. All of that is true. But those with the cash are going to pick up deals in real estate, in cars, in, in RVs, whatever the things are that you wanted to, to pick up as you go through life and you buy. I need you to make sure you understand something. And that is that having availability to cash is key. Now, secondarily, expect them to shut down, them being the banks, to shut down, curtail, reduce your home equity lines of credit. I think you're going to have a problem with some of these. Some of you that think that that is your emergency account. Oh, my emergency account is $100,000 at any time. I can take it out and put it back until you get a letter in the mail reminiscent of 2007-8 when they said, sorry, I know your Wells Fargo account, you had a $100,000 HELOC. You currently owe $10,000. Well, that is your new limit. Meaning, there's nothing else, and you have to just pay that back, because that's what they did. They went across the board, all of these institutions. I'm not singling out one, and they because they no longer had access to money, so they ha- because in other words, they started restricting, they started uh, reducing the amount of money circulating in the economy. So a lot of these home equity line of credits, HELOCs, if there wasn't cash with you know outstanding, they just reduced. How much was at risk? Because remember this, if you and I each have a $100,000 HELOC, we can go out tomorrow and take all the money out. Meaning the bank has to be ready at any minute to have those dollars available to transfer to wherever we want it to go. Our bank account, give it to Mary, Steve, Joe, Ferrari, people. I don't, it doesn't matter. I want to buy a new car. Comes right out, boom, off it goes. They have no choice. So that's a risk for them to take. And they're not always willing to do that. Alright? So keep that in mind. So build your emergency fund. I like that. I like having cash reserves. And I want layers of emergency funds. In other words, I want to have the one year all heck breaks loose, meaning all of your expenses. Not just food, shelter, clothing, but a little bit of entertainment. But I'd like to have as much as you can for a year. If you're not there yet, then just keep saving 10% of your paycheck. has to go into your savings. That's what we do. And you just keep on saving, maybe nothing will happen. Maybe your job will stay intact through this recession. maybe there's not going to be a problem. Maybe in some cases, right there are industries, there are groups of people, there are companies that do very, very well in recessions. They're quiet about it because they don't want you to they don't to feel bad, frankly, they don't want to brag, they don't want to be a victim of a you know hold up robbery, right they just want. But there are industries and there are people that do very well financially at the end of the story. So keep that in mind, okay? Some of you are going to want to take advantage of this. Here's where we see some of the biggest issues, right? If you're laid off at your job, if you still need to work another two or four or six years and you're caught in the middle of this recession where you could be laid off a little early, go back and rebuild that resume. Structure it, build it, create something that works, right? Maybe even spend a few dollars and hire a resume expert. They, they are out there. We've had clients that, that have done this and it works very well. They know what, know what industry you want to apply for. They know what that resume needs to look like. So that industry looks at it, those employers, and they say, wow, this is a professional. Okay, so you need to do that. Where do I think it's going to hit the most? Well, gosh, drive around to anywhere, certainly outside of California, but a lot of you planned on retiring in other states. I have tons of friends in Idaho, uh, Idaho Utah, uh, Texas, Tennessee. They're building houses as we speak all across uh, Tucson area, right in Arizona. And here's what they're doing. It's very simple. They go out, they build these homes, but, but you, they're building it. So it was supposed to be done April 1st. Oh, sorry, it's not because of supply chain and wah, wah, wah. It's going to be August 1st. Oh, maybe now it's September 1st. Whatever the case is, you realize when you initially signed the contract and you said, because you had to do this a lot uh, you know, early, early in the process, oh, well, I'll take granite, this, give me the upgraded balcony. Uh, I'd like the, uh, the better crown molding. I want the cabinets, the much better cabinets and, Right, You go through that process. Anybody that's bought a home, a, a new home, know that you get to do all of that. But it's months in advance. Now, you said you were going to spend up to a certain amount of money. Let's just say, I don't know, $600,000, which is a lot, but no problem. Because at 3.5% interest rate, that's less money per month than you're paying on your current home. So you say it's a great deal. Well, meanwhile, the builder's building, build, uh, building, building, building. And it's done. And by the time it's done, interest rates are not 3.5%. They're six. They're five and three quarters. They're six and a quarter. Now, what do you do? Well, now you're stuck, aren't you? So, what do I think builders are going to do? I think they're going to be stuck with inventory, right? They played the jump rope game, the timing game, right? For those of you who remember the hot potato game, the music is playing, 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 and the music stops. And boom, wherever interest rates are, is where they are. We're done with the house. We're ready. And they look left and they look right. And the interest rates are through the roof. And you that had $400,000 sitting in your savings account because you were going to use a big part of that for what? Oh, the down payment. And then the backyard because you wanted a pool because you know you deserve, you need, It doesn't. you don't understand who I am. And meanwhile, you've been renting because you sold your home at the right time. Maybe some of you. I share this with you because It is a regular story, not even a once in a a while. I mean, multiple times a week story that we get in our office. So how can you prepare for that? Well, number one, I think rental prices are going to continue to go up because those people that could not afford to buy a house before are way not going to be able to buy a house in the beginning of this recession because it's going to take a while for the home prices to come down. There's like an absorption that has to happen. So those folks with money that don't mind if the interest rates are six and a half or six and a quarter, because they can afford it, they can put a little bit more of a down payment. They have a better job, a better career. They're going to be absorbing and taking that dream home that you built that you cannot afford anymore. It's kind of sad. And somebody's going to get it for a deal because the builder says, I can't continue with the rest of the project, meaning everything else is laid down slower and slower and slower. Because... The builder needs your money to pay off the bank portion and then buy supplies for the next build. That's how they do it. They don't just write checks out of their savings account. They frankly don't have huge savings accounts. They operate on huge margins, but they live on that money and they use it to pay subcontractors and materials, which by the way, has gone up, has gone up quite a bit. Some of you have felt that there's been a change order that says we won't build your house unless you pay us another $40,000 because lumber has gone up in cost. Okay, most of you did that. You understood. You saw the news. It was happening everywhere. You said, okay. So I think there's going to be that housing shift. So if you are somebody who has a secure savings account, right? A year at least worth of emergencies. You're somebody who has enough equity in your home. You're somebody who has the ability to retire at any time or keep working and retire and you want to move to another city but couldn't find a home because it just wasn't ready yet, or they were already taken, or you got outbid, this could be the time of your life. And again, it's like that jump rope. It's timing. You're watching and watching and watching. It's not at the beginning of a recession. you got to start seeing what chips are going to fall, who's going to fall, what what industries are going to suffer the most, what builders, what areas. Because I see some areas are not going to have the same issue. Because a lot of you cannot afford anymore outside of Nashville and Tennessee or outside of Frisco, Texas. You just can't. But a lot of people can. So I don't think the builders are going to have problems in some areas. But in other areas, and towards the end of the recession, think of it like a wave, I think they're going to be stuck with a lot of homes. It's just a math problem. So when that occurs... How do you make sure you're in position for it? How do you make sure you're ready to make a move? I've talked about strengthening your resume and why? Very simple, because you may end up with a job in that new city for another year or two, because this is the time to buy the house. This is the time to make that move, even though you're not ready to actually stop working yet. All right, stay with me as we continue. I'm Eric Hallaby. Let me give you the number, 888 retire That's 888-997-3847. Thanks for being with me and staying with me as we continue with this hour of the program and we have emails afterwards don't forget got some great things for you I'm Araf Halaby stay with me 8 99 retire we'll be right back now higher income strategy
1: learn from Araf Halaby learn about financial power the total financial power financial security will help you live the life you dream learn about financial power the total financial hour now higher income strategies learn from Arab halabi
2: hey welcome back thanks for staying with me triple eight ninety nine retire i 'll give that to you again eight 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 nine nine seven three eight four seven nine nine seven three eight four seven Okay, so what do we else do we see happening with this recession? It's the conversations that are coming into my office pretty regularly. Uh, oh, probably every other person is concerned. Uh, I don't know if rightfully concerned. Remember, just like I talk about, oh, there's car accidents on the turnpike of whatever. And you're going, but that doesn't matter to me. I know, but you still watch all the horrible news on the national side as if it's happening in your neighborhood. We see that all the time. And, and emotionally, mentally, it's the same thing. It's the same impact. So you have to keep this in mind. Let's back up just a little bit. Look around and see what real recessional uh recessionary issues are going to affect you. For example, gas, groceries, those are real. Right? I think airline strikes. I have a relative who is relatively new to flying, right? The way it used to be as a pilot, you would go to school, you would start out on a little Small airline, and you would keep going and going and going. And and by the time you had six, eight, 10,000 hours, no joke, I mean, years of flying, what happens? Oh, now the big guys hire you, right? The United, Deltas, American Airlines, you know, SkyWest, the big, big companies out there. And your goal, at least in in past, was to be the captain of a United Airlines 747. That was like the epitome of dream come true. And the reason was simple. They were the highest paid. It was the coolest plane to fly. And in pilot land, eh, there's some machismo that happens with it. And you tell your friends, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I happen to be uh, flying a captain of United Airlines. 747, yeah. Well, today, it's probably the A380 or the 777, right? Some of the big planes as they're slowly retiring these 747 jets. So back to my relative, who probably has less than a thousand hours and he's now co-pilot. Yeah, he's co-pilot, co-captain, whatever it's called, in the, in the right seat of one of these jets. Now, not a 747. I won't tell you the airline, uh, but it's a 737, right? That's, that's a, it's like the workhorse. It's like the Honda Accord or the Toyota Camry of, of planes. They're everywhere. They're a utility. They work really well. You just jump in and go. You never have to worry about things. Make sure you change the oil, right? <laughs> They're the ones that you give your daughter when she's going off to college. Same thing, 737s and what is it? The A320s, I think is the Airbus. So in any case, he's a pilot now for those. He went to school, was flying for about a year and then went in uh, to, to be a pilot and they hired him. So you're going to see that happen. Now, what, what does that mean to you and I? Well, remember the goal was to retire and travel the world. Well, now it's difficult. Some of the COVID restrictions, right? Maybe some of the issues with trying to you know, catch a plane and you keep getting delayed, right? You're doing these hub things where you fly and you bounce through Dallas or, or through Denver and there's another delay and another delay. So it can affect you. So here's what I want you to do when it comes to flying. Just a side note, because it happens to be an avocation of mine is traveling. My dad worked for the airlines, so we flew for free or virtually for free for years. And then he had a travel agency, so we knew when all the deals were coming. So so we've traveled a lot of places at much, much discounted rates with some of the inside secrets. And here's what they are. Fly on a Tuesday because everybody else is working. And if you're supposed to get to work, usually it's on Monday. If you have a big meeting, it's usually on Monday. If you're coming back, it's usually on a Friday. Sometimes people sneak out early on a Thursday. But a Tuesday or a Wednesday morning flight, they're usually the ones that are less expensive and they're usually ready for this never going to be late because there isn't a lot of traffic the other thing I want you to consider if you want to upgrade because I like to travel nice if I can right it, you, you go to the counter and you have to arrive a bit early a couple of hours actually which is not my favorite thing to do because I don't like sitting in airports but you arrive early you go to the counter and you see if there's an upgrade that you can buy and you do it not at the gate but you do it way back when you check your luggage. And you ask if there's an upgrade you can buy. And look around. Sometimes they have signs that say you can upgrade for $100 to business class. Because generally speaking, here's how the airlines work. If they sell out business or first class, that pays for everything on the airline. That pays for the ground crew, the salaries, uh, the, the scheduling people, the, the pilots, the flight attendants. Everybody is paid for. That 15 or 22 say seats, whatever it is, in first class. You need to know that because everybody else behind it, all the coach, <laughs> that's called profit. So all they ever had to do was sell out first or business. So to get an upgrade, it's just a few extra dollars. They've probably just about covered their expenses. So it's just pure profit in their pocket. Now you get to move up 15 rows or whatever it is. You get better service, you know, wider seats, more comfortable seats and on and on. And they say, is it worth it for you? So I want to ask you, how much did you want to die with when you retired? Uh, uh, Because I I want you to spend your money. Very few people go, and here's my last dollar. Shoot, I'm 86 and I'm still pretty healthy. What do I do next? That rarely happens. It's usually that people scrimp and save and they're so good managing their money because hence that's why you have some that you've denied yourself an enormous amount of benefits. Driving the car that you've always wanted, flying the way that you wanted to fly, staying in the hotels you want to stay in and on. Now I think some of this recession stuff, airlines are going to be backing off some of their, their flight schedules. They're already doing it. They're doing it because there's not enough pilots. They're doing it because there's Not enough um, uh, people flying, right? In some some rows, some areas. Because remember, if you're going to fly in a plane, and it lands at LAX, pay attention for a minute. It doesn't just start in LAX. It starts from maybe Seattle, and then from there it goes to Denver, and then back to L.A. And so, at any one of those places, something could have changed and modified the entire system, right? It's a circle. So whenever something falls off, if something is a mechanical issue or, air or weather, changes everything. So how do you fix that? Number one, I don't like it if you pack luggage to be checked. Don't. Because then your luggage might end up in one place and you somewhere else. So what I'd prefer you do is to take everything in your two carry-ons. Very important. Because then you can be nimble. If you're stuck in Dallas, you say, you know what, let's rent a car and drive to New Orleans for a while. That'd be fun, oh, and then let's get, let's get catch a plane from there, and we'll go continue our trip, right, So things like that give you that flexibility if you are packing in your carry- ons. But where do I see this changing? I think there's going to be labor issues galore. You're starting to see it. when we hit this side of a recession, when a Democrat is in power, when a Democrat has spent all of our extra ammunition, including oil from our oil reserves. More symbolic, I mean it's it's actual literal, but it's symbolic as well. It goes to show you that nobody knows what they're doing to fix our economy. Zero. Nobody. That means you're just kind of like a ship in the middle of the night where everybody's talking about what color to paint the walls and nobody's steering the ship. And they go, oh, Yeah, but let me check the oil pressure. See what I did? I did something. Check that box, I'm productive. No, no, no. You have to steer the ship, buddy what what you care about whether the you know the furniture is placed here or there it means nothing. And so folks, right now we have nobody to steer the ship. I'm sorry I don't mean to to mess up your day. But most of you knew that. Nobody. Now oh yes, yes, yes we do, Arif. Yeah, it's Valerie Jarrett and Susan Rice. True statements, true statements. President Obama, his little mouthpieces are those two ladies. For sure. They're still not steering the ship. They're trying to destroy the ship, not steer it. Now, you might say all this is on purpose. Okay, it's on purpose by neglect because right in front of you is something you can do and they're not doing it. Now, neglect on purpose, Uh, maybe, Uh, probably history will say that yes, it is because these are evil people, some of them. And they crave power more than they crave to fix the system. And when you are retired or going to be retiring soon, you have to protect yourself because the economy isn't going to protect itself, right? It just does what it does. Remember, it's already baked into the cake. It's already over what you're going to be experiencing now. And in the next three months, there's nothing they can do to fix it. So you have to go through this heck, right? The storm is in front of us. I see it. Okay. Okay. We can't turn left or right. It's in front of us. So how do you protect yourself? Because there's going to be labor issues. There's going to be strikes at schools because all the teachers want more money. Right? I mean, the teachers union is probably one of the most evil things our children have to deal with. No kidding. Sorry. Right? The the local shop steward and, and chapter chair, I get it. You guys are nice people. I'm not saying you are. I'm saying the National Education Association, the State Teachers Association, they're not about you as a student. They're truly about your, your kids are the items on the grocery store shelves. They care about the employees of the grocery store. Your children are the product. If you still have your children in public school, you are crazy. I cannot tell you how many teachers I have as clients who either homeschooled their kids before, currently have their children in private school, or had to quit teaching one of them, husband or wife, to take care and raise kids and only substitute teach. This is, these are people inside of the school system. And you pick the district. There isn't one better than the other because they're all woke from top to bottom. They all have to follow whatever the state of California says, right? There's very little independent thinking that happens on the teacher level. They have to teach towards tests. They have to do mandatory curriculum. So if we have any courageous teachers that are going to go on strike, not for the money, but because of the teaching conditions, they can start bringing to bear financial distress on these unions and believe it or not, ready for this, on the districts. Right? Because they're not going to be paid for the kids being absent. And they've conditioned so many of you, well, she's been a perfect attendant. I'm not sure what that means, perfect attendant. Well, you were a good little robot. You showed up every day. There wasn't anything else in the world that could have been better or more fun or more interesting or, or more bonding with your family or your parents or an event or an activity. But going to school and being, you know, in a chair all day, I don't know, maybe, maybe we found ways to entertain our kids and it didn't have a whole lot to do with sitting in a chair. So I think labor disputes, you're going to see it in grocery stores. You're going to see farmers across the board because that's what the left's job is. The left's job is to make sure everybody thinks everybody else has got something that they want and that they took from them. And so I got to get mine. And you're going to see that talk over and over. So you're going to see farm workers across the board. Illegal guys. Striking, holding up stuff. Truckers across the board holding up things because they're being... Squeezed on this diesel. So this is happening and it's going to continue. And I think it's going to get a lot worse. That's what happens in a recession. So how do you position yourself when it comes to either thinking like a millionaire or wanting to be a millionaire, right? Over the next 12 months, here's what, quote, wealthiest people are saying, 37%, there's a huge risk of inflation, according to a CNBC poll. U.S. government dysfunction, eighteen percent. Basically, one out of every five people think the dysfunction of the U.S. government is a big risk to the economy. Ten percent, one out of ten, think it's the Ukraine war in Russia. Right? Oh, surprise! Isn't it interesting that it's you know the the uh, the Biden mantra to make sure everybody thinks that it's all about uh you know russia and putin and putin's price hike and and putin's inflation right the mouthpiece so sad it's like these people they they live in this world and they think other people must live in it but by you saving your money by you planning and preparing by you positioning yourself you can come out on the other side of this as one of those that win i remember working in in west la division in 1991 as a policeman and i'm driving my police car and you know, my early 20s, trying to figure out, you know, how I could ever buy a house in Pacific Palisades. It's just a beautiful place. And the weather was always perfect. I, I couldn't figure it out. I'm like, how do I do this, making $32,000 a year? And I remember driving and we looked on a probably a Saturday or Sunday and there was an open house. And we looked at it and we said, uh, my partner, I said, hey, let's go check it out. Okay. Right, right, we went, Hi there. Hello. We looked at a flyer and it was $198,000, I think. And I remember thinking, I just bought a house for $132,000. And I thought to myself, wow, how am I going to ever buy this house for $198,000? I'm going to always be chasing this, right? So this home uh, that I bought was far away. It was in the mountains. It was trying to, to save money because I couldn't afford a house locally. And I thought to myself, one day this is going to happen again, this recession. I remember because college econ told me There's cycles, economic cycles, and we were in a recession, but I was not positioned for it. So I thought to myself, how do I get positioned so that the next time this happens, I can buy a house that I want, that's closer, that's, that's, you know, bigger, better weather, better neighborhood, whatever it was that I was trying to go for. Right? When you're young, you think of different things. So I waited and I worked multiple jobs and I saved and we worked and created wealth and did our best and continued and continued. And then 1998 occurred and the recession happened again. And sure enough, we were able to buy our our first home closer to town. It was an older house, 1962, I think. 1965 something. So 40-year-old house at the time, 35-year-old house, but we were able to do it, right? And you can create that kind of laddering of success. Although I had to buy a 30-year-old plus house, I was able to do it at a time as is to kind of get a foothold. So for some of the young people, all of us are fretting and running and wor- worried. on how does a young person, well, that's what they do. They look in the mirror and they say, okay, I might miss this recession, but let's get some economic lessons. Let me build up my resume. Let me work two and three jobs because there's a labor shortage and people are going to be striking and quitting jobs and all of this. How do you do just the opposite? So here's what we do. We build your retirement accounts in a place that will not be affected by the market. We build your retirement accounts where it doesn't matter if the market is going up or down. We always have a guaranteed stream of income. And the worst thing that could ever happen is your account stays exactly the same. That's the worst. The best, ready for this, very simple, is you actually go up in income like a pay raise. This week, the European Central Bank surprises the markets with larger-than-expected rate hikes. Oh, really? So Europe is right behind the United States now raising interest rates. Right? Because they've been negative, virtually negative, for a long time. You used to be able to save, check this out, you're going to remember this. Ready? You used to be able to save in a German bond, it's called the Bund, B-U-N-D, and you would make minus from what you had before. Like people would specifically save to have less on purpose than a year from now. Is that wild? So a lot of people said, I'm not going to invest in Germany. I'm going to invest in the United States. Well, when the United States starts becoming a little scary, guess what people do? Well, they invest in other places. So right now, the United States is scary. How do we know that? Look at the 10-year interest rate. It's gone up. When President Trump was in office and we were getting you know, 1.6%, people, whoa, of course if you're a saver, that's scary. But understand the full economic results. It means that more money is coming into the United States so we do not have to pay a higher interest rate in order to attract them. Everybody wanted to invest and save with the United States government. So they lowered the rates. So now... They have to raise the interest rates. And in part, it's because there's a lot of other places that people will put money and that faith in the United States government, certainly this current government, is not very high from all across the board. Look at look at Biden's approvals, right? Thirty thirty percent. I'll bet those are, you know, fudged numbers. I, I don't know if they're actually even real. I don't know too many people, including Democrats that voted for him, that hated Trump. They all know, privately at least to me, including some pretty high-ranking ones, that he's lost his marbles, and everybody is just trying to hold their breath that no national crisis is going to occur before he gets out of office because they want somebody who knows what they're doing, and he just doesn't. So we cannot trust him to fix the economy. He's weaponized the FBI and the Department of Justice. Going after his political rivals, we have seen that time and time again. It's a very scary thing, guys. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not sure, right? We've heard talk of uh, him stepping down. We've heard talk of the United States splitting into multiple countries over the over the next 20 years, 25 years, right? Where who knows if that's going to be a case? Uh, if it's right, I, listen. If you think you're going to go to 400 million people and the 40 million or 400 million guns in the United States and you're going to tell them you got to give up all your guns and trust the United States. Trust the government. You've already weaponized the the FBI. You've already defunded the police. You already sat outside of a school where one lone shooter was picking off little children and a dozen police officers did nothing. Did nothing. Let me tell you when we had a lieutenant his first name is John. I won't tell you his last name during the riots. And he was a coward. He sat there and, and we got shot at. And I will tell you that three or four officers did not hear him say, stay in the line and went after the shooter. Surprise. Insubordination. I don't know. Not following rules. Probably saved lives. Definitely we did. Because us four decided we weren't going to, listen, this isn't the place to get into it. Just realize we had cowardice on the police department and Lieutenant John wanted to promote. And those of us in Westwood in the middle of the riots decided it was time to do something because being shot at from an alley is not, oh, I don't know, a good thing. Watching a lady get uh, attacked and her purse stolen is not a good thing we were yards away what we were supposed to do nothing i didn't take an oath to lieutenant john i took an oath to the state of Cal, uh, the, the united states government the united states uh, constitution rather i took an oath to support and defend the constitution and to protect the people of los angeles i don't i don't know it wasn't lieutenant john i didn't hear his name anywhere i get riled up when i think about it because it's one of those times when i realize Right, part of it was I was a young officer and I remember thinking, wow, we were supposed to be the good guys that were courageous and saving the day and helping little people and, and innocent and victims. And it was the first time I saw out and out cowardice. But now, fast forward in Uvalde, I'm, indi- I'm guessing individually those men are good men. Just a guess. Because they serve, they do what they're supposed to do. But the structure is such that there's one tip of the sto- of the sword, and that person's job is to lead and pass on both uh, direct orders, a sense of morale, a sense of leadership, and on and on. And it's supposed to permeate through the, that group. And they sat there for hours. Now, maybe they thought he was alone in a room. Okay. But I, I don't know why you would think that, right? You heard gunshots. You heard kids are still down the, down the hall. I will tell you, the street cops of LA, at least in my time, I don't know today. I'm, I'm assuming today, I'm hoping today, but these guys today are very scared and woke and get their feelings hurt a lot different than, than we did. So maybe maybe that impacts that level of courage. I don't know. Some of the men and women I know today are still courageous on the job, but I will tell you the people that I knew that would have never happened on our on LAPD. Never, right? I, I just, just me. The people I knew. I didn't know everybody. I knew some, and I think that will impact you because if you pay attention to the news and everything else that is happening on TV, you will think it's everywhere, and it's not. But the recession, how it impacts you—that's the scary part, and you have to react to that. I gave you some ideas. After the break, guys, I have two amazing emails. You ought to hear this. It's it's a big difference. And these are the first time I've heard this, so I think it's worth it for you to stay tuned. I'm Eric Halliby. The total financial hour, 888-99-RETIRE. Stay with me on AM870, The Answer. We'll continue right after this.
1: Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power. Total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Financial Security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power. Total financial power. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi.
2: Hey, welcome back. Thanks for staying with me. I'm Eric Halliby. This is the Total Financial Hour, your place for news, talk, and information about getting out of debt, managing money, planning for your future. We try to get into the details uh, best we can, of course, with the format we have. But part of this is to understand the issues that people have in life. They're a lot more complicated than what you could get off of a an hour or even a two-hour radio show. I, I mean, I want you to consider this for a minute. It, if you'd like to come in And have a conversation with us I might be able to help but but at least it's more specific to you right yes I can help here are some solutions no I can't you know here are some uh, other options so that's important because in your particular case everybody's a little bit different right and I've purposely kind of gone through not reading all the details of the emails I've kind of pared it down to the parts that are important uh, for for what we're talking about because I don't want to to overwhelm you with just reading except now this one I think is worth it. You need to pay attention to it. It's a longer one, but here's my concern. My concern is you guys have to understand that this is not just one person who's dealing with this. We have found this time and time and time again, and I will bet that it's not, if not hundreds of you, maybe even thousands of you are going through the same scenario. So if you are, I want you to not feel like you're alone, right? And I want you to not feel like that it's other people who has the pro- who have the problem, uh, and not you. If you're in the middle of this, then you've got something you have to deal with. There's no question about it. You have to pay attention to it. You have to find a solution. You have to walk through this properly. All right. This is important because uh, Linda here in in LA has had issues that I think everybody has, and I want you to know that you're not alone, okay? This is important. Dear Eric, I'm concerned that my daughter, my only child, is not going to pay her student loan debts that I took out in order for her to attend college. It's called a Parent PLUS loan, and it was the only way that she could go to the university of her dreams. Fast forward now, she is now 30 years old and lives in an apartment. I have been paying the loan for over five years now. Our agreement was that when I retired, she would pay it each month. The thinking was that by that time, she would have been out of school and settled into her career and making enough money. The payment is over $600 a month. She, ha- uh, she says that she can't pay it now, although I see her driving her second new car since she graduated college. Her job seems to be paying her well enough to eat out often and to buy nice clothes. I want to retire at the end of next year, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to afford to do so and not have to work during my retirement years. Okay, so that's Linda, guys. Here's her breakdown. She has Social Security of $3,000 a month, and I'm assuming that's going to start in uh, at the end of next year. Social Security of $3,000 a month, a small pension of $310, she says, when I worked at a grocery chain. We see that a lot with uh, some of the retail clerks because they had had issues financially over the years, so the, the pensions are peanuts. $300 a month. So 3000 3, Social Security, 310 for grocery chain. All right, let me continue from Linda. I've been a single mother and still now can only count on myself for retirement. I have saved almost $800,000. About 200000 came from an inheritance. I owe very little on my house and my total bills minus the student loan debt are about $4,500 a month. I want to travel and volunteer and return to some of my hobbies. Is there anything I can do to make her pay for the loan? Plus, I'm worried about inflation. Okay, guys, this is Linda. All right, let's let's review a little bit. She has a 30-year-old daughter who needed student loans in order to complete college. Linda's now been paying that Parent PLUS loan for five years. And they had an agreement. When I retire, you're going to take over the payment. Well, the daughter still is not taking over the payment. I'm going to tell you guys, this is pretty important. Uh, I think, kids, you have a moral obligation to take that payment back. If it was your choice to go to college, that college, and your parents had to take out a loan because many parents didn't save, we didn't know what the cost of college was going to be when you're two years old. Sometimes parents promise, oh, yeah, you want to, if you can get into Harvard, I'll pay for it. Right now, Harvard doesn't take student loans, but back then they did. So a lot of these things are out of our control and you you just kind of try to patchwork solve financially pieces and parts as you go to fill a gap. And, And one of those is a $600 a month parent plus loan. Now, usually those go for about 20 years. It's been my, my experience anyway. So five years she's been paying it. So figure 15 years left. That's right around. Oh gosh, $60,000 or so, maybe a little more. So what do we do? Well, Lindo, first, I, I think you need to have a conversation with your daughter. And you say, what are your intentions? Well, I want to, I feel like I could, I should, maybe I want to, I get it, but I need you to start paying me something each month. So what I would do, Linda, is today I would have her start paying you maybe $200 a month and then raise it every six months an additional $100. See if she will cover it that way. Now, if she won't, and chances are she probably won't because kids know how to manipulate parents and especially single parents, especially when a dad is not involved, right? Whether it's the self Uh, issuing guilt that you feel yourself. And I'm not saying it's justified, but parents do. They give everything to their child. They don't put their foot down and you feel bad, especially if you walked out on him, right? I get it. Even if he was a jerk, an alcoholic, you still will feel bad. And so the way that we do that as a parent is we spend money we don't have. We do things financially we would never normally do. And we do it out of guilt or shame or a combination of both. So Linda, I don't know if any of that is present with you, but I do know this. One of your best ways out of this a year from now, if you can continue to make this payment, sounds like you have a good job and you're continuing to make this payment uh, without a problem for the last five years. So I would just continue with the payment. See if your daughter will help. And then you got to make a decision. How important is my relationship with my daughter versus 600 a month because right now, Linda, there's about 160,000 people, 160,000 retirees collecting social security, and they're having part of their social security check garnished. That means taken back from the IRS to pay student loan debt. So you're going to pay for it anyway, whether they pull it from your social security check or whether you have to pay it directly, the only hope you have is for your daughter to start paying. Except it is still on you. So if she stops paying one day, it's still you. So here's what I would do. It's going to take a little courage, but first of all, I would use some of your eight hundred thousand and the two hundred that comes from inheritance. Uh, you know, was a blessing. I don't like the way we have to get inheritance. Right? Somebody has to pass away, but. I would use some of that to pay the $60,000 and I would pay it off the day before you retire. So whatever's left on it, pay it off. Meanwhile, if your daughter is willing and continue, don't tell her this. If she is willing and able to continue to pay you $600 a month, let her do that. You can create online. There's some great free programs where you just give a, a schedule, an amortization schedule. So however many months are left on the loan, you back into it so that it's six $600, and she just continues to pay it, and you can deduct it off of that chart. That's how I would do it. So this way, they're not going to garnish your Social Security check, and at $60,000, it's gone. The other part that I would say is if she doesn't do it, if she refuses and says, I can't, I don't, or, you don't understand how hard and cries, Right. And, and can manipulate you through some of the whining or the crying or the yelling, whatever whatever her tool is, right? Everybody has a tool. Her tool might be yelling or guilt or shame or whatever it is, crying. If at the end of that, you don't say, okay, settle down. All right, all right, are you done? Now let's get back. I need $600 a month, right? If you don't have that courage, then you do need to tell her this. Hey, daughter, your, your inheritance is impacted by that as well. I just want you to know, now, she's going to go, I don't mind. It doesn't matter to me. Say, no, 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 you don't understand. You still owe $60,000. So I'm going to take away 120000 from your inheritance. And the, when I take it away from you, I want you to know it's going to go to a charity. A charity that I choose, not you. So whatever you do not pay, double will be taken away from your inheritance. Because it sounds like she likes money, right? Clothes, eating out, the car. Sounds like she's like that. So maybe that's the only conversation she's going to get, right? She's going to understand is, is money, dollars. And I'm sorry you have to go through this. It's kind of yucky. But let me give you some pointers, folks, how you can help pay for your kids' college. First of all, I have three children and all three thank goodness, completed their bachelor's degree. One has a master's and one and, and uh, two are still in school deciding what master's they're going to complete or my daughter wants to be a dentist, right? We'll see what they all end up doing. But for now, they're done with their undergrad without student loans. How did we do it? Well, number one, we required they go to community college. All three of them. Get your associate's degree at community college. Get your general ed out of community college. Why? Because you're paying for the exact same thing which is an English 101 class however they call it these days but you're paying $150 instead of $4,000. It counts the same. It transfers the same except I don't have to pay big prices for it but it also means my child is not living in a dorm with a bunch of uh, dope smoking fentanyl potential using kids that may be wonderfully nice people where I'm overpaying for the privilege for them to sit around by a pool or ditch class and go to a, a the beach and oh oh I'm sorry you guys call it the college experience What them the college experience
0: you
2: know the fraternity house where drinks are being laced oh air you so overdo those things uh, no a Los Angeles policeman Cal State Northridge Los Angeles policeman UCLA that's right I can give you years of experience being on the streets. Oh, I know it was in the 80s and 90s. Oh, yeah. Things are different now. Oh, yeah. Different called a lot worse. A lot worse. So when I saw stuff, I, I think that was probably part of the reason, right? Some of my kids weren't even born at that time. Actually, all of them weren't born at the time. And I, and I went to myself, uh, my wife, and I said, um, you know, the college experience that you and I had, uh, it's a little bit different now. And so both of us, whether it's a state college, you know, a, a prestigious school, I'm not saying they aren't, but the, the college experience, the kid experience, of course you had the, the dweebs, the dorks, the whatever nerds or whatever they would call them, I don't know, who would uh, you know have their big backpacks and their books and they would stroll past the sorority houses and the fraternity houses and they would go and study and they would have coffee and that would be as wild as they would get as two in the morning eating pizza. Of course, there's that crowd everywhere. But I also saw the other side where parents had no idea the amount of student loans that they were taking out, parent plus loans that they were signing their names to so their kids could be drunk and I'd find them throwing up in bushes at four o'clock in the morning. I'd find him jumping off of uh, people, <laughs> random people's roofs into somebody's pool. No kidding. I mean, I could tell you f- amazing stories. Do a ride-along with uh, UCLA police for a bit if you're interested. See what happens on a daily basis, the assaults, the unreported assaults, right? So my point is, I don't want a 17, 18-year-old going into that environment. I'd prefer a 20-year-old. You might think, no big deal, it's two years, it's life and, uh, you know, it, it's changed, life-changing those two years for that age. Right? They get a better experience. So my point is, have community college as an option. They're going to complain. They're going to whine. I get it. Have them save money. They go to work. They save money. Whatever they put in their savings account, you can double it. Not every time they make a deposit so they put it in and take it out the next week. No, no, no. Every three months, whatever's in that account, I'm going to add to it. Every three months, whatever's in that account, I'm going to add to it. And that can be part of their school, paying for their school. Because if you want to commit your kids to prison, there's two things you can do. Now, I mean financial prison, not, uh, not the 10 minutes you're going to spend in L.A. County Jail because of Gascon. No, no, no. I mean lifelong prison, financial lifelong prison. Ready? Number one, have them take out student loan debt. It's a ball and chain that goes around their leg for a very, very long time. That's number one. Number two, ready for this? Buy a house and live in it. You guys think it's an asset because the last few years it's gone up in value. You think you did something. You didn't do anything. Watch the rest of your 30-year loan and see what happens. Who pays for the water heater? Yep, the roof. Uh Uh-huh. Financial prison, you go to work and you have to pay with after-tax money the house payment. So you think it's $3000 a month? No, no, no. You have to earn $5000 a month. Pay 2000 in state and federal taxes, then get your 3000 and pay for the house. Which only a very small portion of that actually reduces the principal. Most of it is taxes, insurance, and interest. So how much of it is really an asset? I'm telling you that it is not an asset. You want to be wealthy or teach your kids to be wealthy. That's completely different than wanting to make a lot of money. I want to make a lot of money. Well, that's fine. That's why that's what's taxed. I I want to make a lot of income. Great. That's what can be taken away from you. It's very difficult to tax wealth. Very difficult to take wealth away from somebody. Right? Poor people want to own things. Rich people want to control them. They're not the same thing. A poor person goes, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, same thing. A rich person goes, that's why you're going to always be poor. Right? So there's a difference. You have to ask yourself. Very simple. What do I want to teach my kids so that they don't end up in college? Coming out, maybe they come out unscathed. That's wonderful. But not debt-wise. All right? So this uh, craziness of AP courses that some of you put your kids in. In in high school, I get it. They're nice people to hang around. Just enroll them in a community college course. They still get AP course credit, right? Community college Spanish is AP Spanish, and it's probably easier than AP Spanish in high school. And yet they get, guess what? A 5.0 grade potential instead of 4.0. And across the board, English, science, whatever it is, Take those classes that count for the general ed at 50 or, or uh, listen, if they're a high school student, it's free, except for the, uh, uh, the books, right? So you're not even paying tuition at a community college in California if it's a high school student. So consider that, all right? And it also helps because you get them out of the public school system. The community college system isn't much better in the sense of their wokeness and their pronouns and you know the gender all gender baloney that they're dealing with. It's, there's not a whole lot of difference. But you still have to think about, all right, now back to you, Linda. How do I make sure that the difference between 3,300 and 4,500 a month is made up of? Well, that's 1,200 dollars a month, okay? That means you want to spend 3,000 a month from your social Security, 310 from your pension, from the grocery chain. And you have about $800,000. Okay, I would split that into three different buckets or three different accounts. I like to use the buckets just because I can draw pictures of a bucket. <laughs> just, I'm not that gifted as an artist. And I would very be very clear on this. It's called laddering. You hear me give that to you guys as an example of a solution. And for most people, it is. Sometimes it's two, sometimes three, sometimes four buckets. And you're going to turn the faucet. You're going to turn the spigot. You're going to start the income at various times. And by doing so, listen, it's going to depend on how much money you have, how much you need, how old you are. That that determines how many buckets you have. There's not really a hard and fast rule. It just says, I need this much money to live on. It's a math problem. We solve backwards with some interest. And believe it or not, some companies today give you a bonus, which is a matching so if you're going to take the money out in the form of income, most of the bonuses apply that way. Meaning if you knew, if you were going to take out $1,000 a month, you actually get to take out maybe $1,100 a month because part of it is the bonus money and it can last forever for the rest of your life. So Linda, I would do that because I have to count on yourself. There isn't a spouse that... It, And it sounds like from an inheritance standpoint, you probably got what you're going to get. There's not going to be much coming in. So we have to kind of protect this. Make sure you don't lose. We can start now. You don't have to wait till you retire. Most of these accounts, you can start moving over to safety, structuring, pre-planning income at a later date, right? I usually need a year, but not always. I could do it in a much shorter period of time. 30 days, let's say but a year would be nice. Gives us time to plan and structure and you have that. So that's good. All right, Linda, let's recap your situation. You have about $800,000 saved. You want to retire at the end of next year. We have a deficit of $1,200 a month that we need to make up in, social secu- uh, in income. We can use some of that 800000 but really this ball and chain around your ankle. Yeah, ready for this. Yeah, since you owe very little on your house, it's not your house. The ball and chain you have around your ankle is your daughter's student loans. It's called a parent plus loan. I cannot tell you the amount of parents that regret this to a person. I have yet to find somebody that says, well, it was the best investment I ever did. No, your daughter gets a degree in English. Your son gets a degree in whatever. And they're working at a retail outlet or, you know, selling at the Apple store or working in a you know, coffee shop. And you go, Are you kidding me? I have to pay five hundred dollars a month so you can work at a coffee shop. It's ridiculous. Oh dad, but they have benefits. I get health care. Yeah, I pay four dollars for a cup of coffee. Quote, of you better get health care. <laughs> so the issue here, Linda, is I want you to take those dollars that you have, find out what the The monthly payment is forever, which we know is $600. See if you can convince your daughter through a serious conversation that she has to start paying something, $200 a month. And then I want you to turn around on the other side and I want you to pay off that loan. Okay. I want you to pay off that loan with your savings because then that's an albatross that's not hanging over you. And if your daughter pays 200 a month, I want you to to raise it to 300 a month. It's all going to end up in her pocket anyway right? She's your own beneficiary. She's your only child. And you tell her, listen, if, if you don't do this, I'm going to give twice of what those student loans are to charity and you're not going to receive it. And that means there might not be anything left for you because I'm giving it all away. My goal is to spend every last dollar because kids only think of next week, next month, the weekend. What are you doing tonight? That's what they think about. So she's less inclined to think big picture at her age, even at age 30. I wasn't. I was a big picture thinker at age 30 because I I just had already been ripped off and already been in a big car accident and had bunches of surgeries. My life was very much a uh, 30-year uh, living in, in my 30 years of life. It was pretty aggressive at that age. So I want you to think about this, Linda. You have to have a tough conversation with her. But behind the scenes, I want you to pay off that loan, get rid of that bill, Take that $600 a month and just save it. Make sure you have emergency funds. And all together, I think you're going to be fine. No, no question about you being able to retire next year. I can make that happen. But you just have to manage that relationship with your daughter because otherwise she's going to come to you with something else. Mom, co-sign for a house. Mom, I need another car. Mom, I got laid off and I have this car payment. Can you help me? And there's an emotional guilt that you have, Linda, that you're going to have to manage. I can't help you with that, but that's a big part of it, all right? Folks, give me a call if it sounds like you, triple eight ninety nine retire maybe I can help, 888-997-3847. Stay tuned after the break. I have another very interesting one. This is one that I've never heard of before. It's kind of brand new, and I think it's important you take a look at what we do next. I'm Arif Halliby. Stay with me on the Total Financial Hour. This is your place for news, talk, and information. It's AM 870, The Answer. Triple eight ninety-nine retire Very interesting concerns coming up next on your Total Financial Hour. I'm Arif Halaby. Stay with me. Total Financial
1: Hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arif Halaby. Learn about financial power. The Total Financial Income strategy. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power. The total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from
2: Arab Hallib. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for staying with me. I'm Airfallah. The total financial hour. We're talking about your family's finances getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future, and look, part of your idea of understanding uh, you know, what it is that we need to plan for and prepare for, uh, we really have to think twice because for most of what we're looking at, you have to realize that a lot of the organizations that we deal with, uh, pension organizations, etc., are going to have financial issues why because they weren't done properly to begin with and nobody wants to hurt anybody's feelings because they think money has feelings right they think uh uh because 1 plus 1 is 2 but you're a teacher we care about you we're going to pretend like it's not really 2 because of what you do to help our children or or if you're a police officer a firefighter you know we love our firemen we love our police so we're going to we're going to continue to give them uh, amazing pension benefits and yet at the same time you know, there isn't enough money to fund it. So you have to make a decision. You either have to do the do the work to make sure it's funded properly on one side or do the work on the other side and tap down expectations and make sure people are still part of Social Security or the other types of benefits that they could and would receive. So this is important. This is the official version. I'm going to give you what the real version is here in just a second. But according to a legislative analyst office as of November 2020 sorry 2021 November 2021 Calsters was just 67% funded and had 106 billion in unfunded liabilities Now how do they determine that Well they estimate your death like when you're going to pass away right so how long we're we going to have to pay you frankly They estimate a rate of return of what the other dollars the 300 400 Uh, 350 billion dollars that are currently in there right there's about 320 350 billion what kind of rate of return are we going to earn ready for this they're assuming a 7 percent rate of return seven that's how they came up with 106 billion the reality is they're not going to get seven percent this year not even close which means next year you have to earn a higher rate of return because you have to make up the losses. And the fees associated with this account and the management of this account is off the charts. It's hundreds of millions of dollars in fees. Somebody's making money. It's not our teachers. So this bill, uh, that this benefit would increase the smaller, da, da, da. so they have a bill they had a bill in place. We'll see if that ever happens. If It, it doesn't matter because you can pass all the bills you want. One plus one is still two. You can try to pretend that our educators are worth, oh, they're so good, they're hardworking, yeah, 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 except you don't give them the money uh, to pay for their pension, and then what? Right? You wanted their vote, but you didn't take care of them. So you need to take care of them, financially speaking. Right? Whether you tamp down expectations, whether you increase the amount of money that they have to add to the fund, because it just is missing. It's missing by official estimates, which I'm telling you are way under, because there's a pension group that I belong with, uh, belong to that we work out of Sacramento. Uh, they work out of Sacramento. I kind of just uh, tag along, if you will. But we're talking about 106 billion dollars underfunded. The real number that we think is closer to 200 to 240 billion dollars underfunded. Nearly double. Okay, here's another letter for you guys. But let me give you the phone number one more time. I'm Arif Halaby. Triple eight ninety nine retire eight 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 nine nine seven. 888-99-RETIRE. You heard me talk in the first hour about some of the labor issues that I think are going to be coming down the road. We're starting to see that, right? The the strikes, the walkouts, you're going to see it across the board from dock workers, uh, longshoremen. Oh, we're not going to strike. We're not going to strike. Threat, threat, threat. Teachers. Oh, it's about us, not about the children. Remember, your kids are nothing but products on the shelves of the grocery store. The union represents the workers, not your students. That's why your students are nice people, but they're worthless to the formula or the conversation about education. It's all a social agenda. It is. The only way out is to pull your kids out of school. I'm sorry. I wish it wasn't. I know you need two incomes to to live in that beautiful home on the hill. I get it, but that's not the way it's going to work right now. It's a different story. Sad. I wish it wasn't but it is. Here's two educators, husband and wife. Dear Arif, my husband and I love the way you talk about the financial impact of some of the political decisions that come out of Washington and Sacramento. We have four children, but we have a concern that his pension could be impacted by ongoing financial issues in the state of California. We are both in our late 60s and are in good health, and we love to travel. We both volunteer and we are both now retired from teaching. Our pensions are part of Calsters. Is there any possibility that we would outlive receiving our school district pensions? Are there any options we have to make sure our standard of living does not decrease for the rest of our lives? Also, we can. Uh, what can we do to ensure that our children still inherit something and we don't have to spend it all in order to live? Okay, let's be clear on this. The pension system... Uh, that they are part of is Calsters. Both of them are retired. Both of them are in their 60s, their late 60s. So here's what we're talking about. I think part of you need to know this, that the pension system itself, when you pass away, there isn't a lump sum that goes to your children, right? That's part of their formula. They know when both of you die, there's no more dollars coming out. You have put in your entire life and the reason the pension system, and it's not just calsters it's pension system in general, the reason that they work is because some of you are going to die the day after you retire. Some of you are going to die before you retire. Some of you are going to pass away, you know, at 110 years old. So they know that, that in the big scheme of things, there's kind of an average. So they're going to collect from everybody and to pay out the few. All right, that's important. Because if you know that, if you understand that, then you'll realize that the pension system is designed to reward you to live longer, and they kind of punish you financially, or your family rather, if you pass away sooner. But if you wanted to leave something for your parents or your children or grandchildren, you have to do that outside of the pension system. Because most pensions don't allow you to leave the next, you know, your beneficiary is usually your spouse. They don't allow you to leave your, your two-year-old granddaughter as a beneficiary, which means the pension system is going to pay out for another 90 years, right? It just, it wouldn't work financially. They they would always be paying out a pension. You worked for 25 or 35 years, and they're going to pay you for 70 years. It's ridiculous. It's part of the reason the pension systems don't work, right? When I started LAPD, you had a 20-year pension, Right? Now, remember, I'm 21 and I'm thinking 41 years old. You know how old that is? Forget it. Oh my God, 20, pe- 20 years is forever. Well, then it goes by like a blink, right? And then what happens is for the men and women that retired at 20 years of on the job, fire department, police department, not everybody, you didn't receive big chunks of money. You received about half, 40%, depending on what, what plan you were under. But now you're 41 years old, And you're going to be paid for the next 40 years, statistically speaking, for a job that you only did for 20 years, meaning while you are retired, somebody else comes along and they have to pay that person to do a job and they're paying you. And then that person retires, then they have to pay you, that person, and somebody else to do the job. So three people are working and only one is actually doing the job. Three people are being paid, rather, and one is doing the job. You can go to any system, and that's why it's not working. Now, when you used to die at 62, 58, 66, okay, fine. The person would retire at 60, they'd pass away in the next 24, 48 months, and the system works. What they should have done is stretched out Social Security, stretched out pension systems, Added what the realistic life expectancy formula is for you and me. It's good news. It's not bad news. I mean, it's it's bad news if you say I wanted to retire and, you know, get paid to sit around. All of us want that. You know, everybody wants to be paid to do very little. I'll take that job. But what most of us don't realize is that the system is set up very simply. It's set up to reward last decades, really last centuries, Life expectancy. All right. So, how do we fix this? How do we make sure? Here's their big concerns. They have four children. They're in pretty good health. Okay. That's important. They like to volunteer, so they're going to stay active. Their pensions are part of CalSTRS. Here's what I would do I would make sure that you have a budget, financially speaking, that your budget is able to be funded food, shelter, clothing based on 70, 70% of your pension, meaning. If the worst case scenario comes along and the current um, funding issue of Calsters, which is by their estimates, which is always wrong, it's always more favorable, it's about 67% funded. Meaning for every $3 that they have promised you as a pension, they only have $2 left. So if you and your husband are collecting, let's say $6,000 a month, They really only have about $4,000 available to pay you. So can your food, shelter, clothing be covered on 70 or 67, right? Two thirds of that pension check. Now you're saying, no, no, it's still going to come in at 6,000 and it probably will for a long time anyway. But what if it doesn't? What if this recession is longer than we think? What if Kamala Harris and their funny business and the way they, uh, you know, collect ballots allows her to win again. Now we have 10 years of Kamala Harris. Yeah, because Joe Biden is not going to last four. We all know that, right? He's gone in two years and 10 minutes. Once he's gone, she picks up the next, uh, those last two years. But because it's past half of the way, it doesn't get to count for her, right? It doesn't count for her as a, as a, uh, a term that allows her to run again and again. And if you've watched 2,000 Mules, you might see that maybe, just maybe, kind of sort of, maybe the Democrats might have cheated just a tiny bit in some places. Maybe. And if you think that's the case, that's why I said in the first hour, folks are saying that if that happens and Kamala Harris turns this into a communist uh, socialist type regime where regulatory bodies control and they disregard and ignore the Supreme Court, unless they agree with it. I, I don't think you're going to see certain states and certain swaths of the country agree to that. I, I think they're going to say, you know, forget it. We're out of here. We're going to secede. We're going to make our own set. I, I don't know. I mean, that's, it's earth-changing, revolutionary, civil war kind of stuff. God forbid that happens. I have children and grandchildren someday. But I, I, I don't know if they don't allow the ballot box to be a, um, uh, an honorable, full of integrity type of event, right? The voting process, then, then what happens? I don't know. So, I want you to have the possibility, the plan B. That what if something happens? How do you prepare for it? Well, you ha- you are both counting on both your eggs are in one basket. Nothing we can do about that. Calster's pension. So, how do we protect that? Number one is if you're going to stay living in California, then I want you to, to make sure that at someday your house is paid off. I don't normally say that, but here's why. Because I think they're going to raise property taxes on the houses. Even if you have Prop 13, they're just going to call it something else. Property assessment. They're going to lie to you and tell you it's a temporary thing. It's only for five years and then they're going to renew it because you'll forget about it. You'll get comfortable with that new sales tax. That's how they raise sales tax, by the way. It's for the children, right? You wouldn't do it to pay for a 64-year-old teacher who's vacationing every year in Fiji. That wouldn't pass, right? You wouldn't vote for that. I love my teachers and I want them to vacation, but that would never work on the bill. So what they would do instead is say it's for the children. And you go, oh, for the children, I'll pay an extra $25 a month in, in my uh, property tax. And then next year it's, you know, for old people. And you go, oh, I'll pay an extra $10 a month for old people. That's how they're going to do it because you can't take the real estate Property, the land, the buildings, you can't take that out of the state. You can take your job, you can take your spending, right? You can buy things in other states. So sales tax, your income tax, you can manipulate all those. You just can't manipulate the property tax. So that's what I think they're gonna do, regardless if you have prop thirteen or not. It's a it's an irrelevant joke right now. It's just a it's it's a game to see how they can get around it. That's my thought. So you guys are both retired from teaching. Here's how I would do it. Uh, your pensions are part of Calsters. I want you to have some of your retirement accounts. Now, most likely you had something called a 403B, right? A tax sheltered annuity, 403B and or a Roth or traditional IRA. You didn't indicate any of that. So please do guys when you send in your emails. But here's what I would do, right? I like the idea of you taking some of that and putting it off to the side to fill the gap in whatever Calster's doesn't pay if that becomes an issue later it may not but if it does if they have to reduce it to the 67 or 70% of your pay then we flip a switch we start income from your other accounts and yesterday you were making 6000 a month tomorrow you make 6000 or 9 and 9 whatever the difference is we just make it up but you have to have enough money Set aside. So I would use a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA, whatever you might have. I like to put it into fixed or fixed index annuities, so we don't go back with the market, right? If you want risk, there's other people out there that are better at risk. But make sure that's all they do. Don't play this game where everybody says, "Oh well, you know I can do some, you know risk and safety and safety and risk and socks, bonds and REITs and ticks and fleas and annuities." You're like, buddy, buddy, what are you good at? Back up. What's your expertise? Because nobody's an expert at all that. I don't care who you are. You can be good at a lot of things, but I, I don't want good. This is my life savings. This is it. I'm not going back to work. I need somebody who's great at this, which is protecting my money. So that's why that's what we specialize in. If you want to take risks, if you want to, to take a chance and maybe do really, really well, I mean, certainly much better than I could do some years, then then you find that person. But if the moment they tell you they're good at everything and then great at everything, you say, well, maybe I'm in the wrong person because you don't even know your own limitations. Know where you're good, know where you're great, and know where you stink. (laughs) Maybe that's a new motto. Put that on a shirt. And other options to pass money on to your kids. Guys, here's what I like. If you're in good health, I want you to think about buying life insurance. And if you have your required minimum distribution that has to come out anyway very soon, Right, usually at age 72. I think they're going to raise it to 73 or 4 here shortly. I would, I would preempt that. I would build in a statistical reduction of your taxable income, and then I would shift that into a life insurance policy. Here's why. You could do what's called a second-to-die life insurance policy. What that means is this. It only pays out after both of you pass away. It's basically a joint life insurance It's much less in in cost because the chance of both of you dying at the same time is extremely low. So one of you is going to live longer than the other. So they will underwrite or do the medical exam, if you will, and the pricing based on the healthier of the two of you. Right? That's important because the healthier of the two of you statistically will live longer. So, the review of the medical stuff is based on that person's life, and believe it or not, it's also based on the lady most of the time. If you guys are the same age, women outlive us that's the that's the name of the game that's why you guys that's why we buy sports cars. just tell them tell them that and good golf clubs don't scrimp on don't scrimp on either of those two things. Tell them Arif said so then you can leave the life insurance to the kids, the house to the kids. Those are both tax-free transfers to your children. Your pension, nothing there for them. Okay? Pension is for each of you, number one. Number two is your retirement accounts, whatever you have there. I want you to spend it in your lifetime. If you end up leaving it to the kids, great. But remember, it's a taxable event for them in most cases right? That means the kids will have to pay income tax on it, not you. And that means the kids are going to get less and will probably have slight resentment against you. Why? Well, very simply because you just created a taxable event for their other income, right? If they're successful in life, then they're going to have to pay taxes on the money that you will leave to them and on their other sources of income. I mean, you understand that, right? Because when you give them A retirement account, they have to pay taxes on that retirement account. And the retirement account that they have to pay taxes on boosts up all of their income, has to be taxed at a higher rate. All right, it pushes everything up a little higher. All right, so please be careful. I want you to spend your money in your lifetime. That's where the favor is. That's how you can... You have more choices. It's, it's the retirement accounts, Tax-sheltered annuity or 403Bs, IRAs, all of those are treated the same thing unless it has a Roth provision, R-O-T-H. Okay? The Roth is in your best interest if you're going to stay in California. But it might be too late because you both are retired, So, so I wouldn't worry about that at this moment. But I do want you to think about this. If you can do a four percent withdrawal, right that's a pretty good number, four percent. Just that's the number. And if that's more than you need, then take out less. If it's not as much as you need, we're going to have to be careful. Remember, I only want to count Calsters as 70 percent of it. If they pay all of it, wonderful. If they fix it, great. If they find a solution wonderful. Part of CalSTRS, to be clear, guys, I happen to to know somebody who's involved with them a little bit. And CalSTRS uh, has been buying real estate because that's one of the things that they do with your money, right? The California pension systems, do you realize they own buildings, apartment buildings, uh, commercial, high-rises, residential complexes, mobile home parks. They own a variety of real estate, And they have stopped buying in California probably at least five or six years ago that I know of. And they have bought in where? In Hawaii and in Texas. Now, maybe they're not buying in Hawaii anymore. or I don't know. But as of five years ago, they were buying in Hawaii and Texas. I also know that they were looking at, ready for this, only red states. One of the most liberal organizations, the California teachers, are making money on conservative states. In other words, their mouth is liberal. Their dollars, their pocketbook is conservative. Isn't that why? No, no. If you're so, you know, if you believe this baloney that you're saying that you're requiring us to be a part of, then why don't you just spend your money in Chicago or Manhattan? Right. Go into these liberal states, go into Portland, buy up that uh, chap, Chaz, whatever that is. Go go buy up that, that poor neighborhood that'll never be the same because they've allowed thugs to run it with the amount of drug crimes, assaults. I mean, you understand the amount of uh, assaults that are coming out of there, they stopped reporting them because they were so high and they knew it would give a bad light. Can you imagine that? A bad light. Well, how about you just call it what it is? So I don't think the teacher's retirement system has the integrity to put their money where they put their policies and they want you and I. I don't think they do. All right, so here's what I want you to do. Guys, I know you both are teachers. You you felt like you sacrificed. You probably have, especially if you taught in California, my word. And especially if you listen to the show, you're probably a little more conservative leaning, which it's meant you were uh, you know, like an angel in the den of the devil. It was hard. Hard to to balance and to keep your mouth quiet when you shouldn't, but you did. How I want you to do it is very simple. Second to die life insurance policy, that'll go to the kids. Number two, I want you to take your tax sheltered annuity, whatever retirement account you have, and ladder it. But I don't want you to take out any more than four percent. Right, if you're sixty-seven years old plus twenty-five years, that's what that puts you what at a hundred and. Uh, 80, 92, 92 years old, 93 years old. So, and that's if we never earn any more money. That's if you earn zero interest. Okay, so there's still a way for you to do this. But what I want you to be cautious on and why I chose your email to, to read today is simple. I think you can only spend in your budget 70%. Okay, just kind of plan for that. If I'm wrong, great, good news, you have more money. If I'm right, no problem, you planned and protected your retirement accounts. That's what my job is, is to make sure that you have reliable retirement income. I'm Arif Hallaby. 888 Retire, 888 997 3847.
1: Thanks for being with me. Total financial hour, now higher income strategy. Learn from Arif
0: Hallaby.